Hey everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. For those of you who don't know how this show works, the premise is that Mike and I have talked about a million things in our lives, but we really, really love films. We thought it would be fun if we watched movies separately and then talked about them live, so to speak, on the show for the first time. So today we're going to be talking about um, Robert Town's great film, well, Hal Ashby directed it actually, but Robert Town wrote the screenplay for The Last Detail, 1973. This is a movie that everybody has that secret list of films that they're supposed to have seen or books they're supposed to have read by some point in their life that they never got around to it. Even if you know what, you know, the famous lines, etc. And this was a movie that was always kind of on the, the margins of my, my lists. So for whatever reason, I saw it on the Criterion channel. I watched it a week or two ago for the first time. It blew me away. I texted Mike every five seconds like I am want to do. It's so Mike, you got to watch this. I watched it again. So now we're going to have our first conversation about this film, which I think is a masterpiece. Mike, what was your overall take on it? It's so weird because Robert Town's other big films, of course, like his biggest film is Chinatown, which is so intricately plotted and everything has its form and its place that uh, if you only saw Chinatown, you'd start to make certain assumptions about Robert Town as a person and an artist. But the last detail is one of the best movies with the flimsiest excuse for existing that I can that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, of course, for those of you who haven't seen it or, you know, you should just stop the podcast now and watch it because it's it's a delightful 90 minutes. Uh, but w- the premise of the movie, of course, is uh, two shore patrol sailors are transporting a prisoner from Baltimore uh, up to Maine, where he's going to be imprisoned for a couple of years. And that's it. And they it's a road novel. It's an adventure. They get into into various things while they're transporting him. And, and of course, you and I have different things to, to say about this movie, but that's it. There's no big conspiracy. It's not, you know, it's not Chinatown, but it's not only not Chinatown, it's like the anti-Chinatown. Yeah, there's no great plot. There's no, um, she's my sister, she's my daughter. There's nothing remotely like that. I think it does have a deep structure, but you're right. If you only saw Chinatown, you would say, okay, this guy is like the, the Henry James of screenwriters. And, and this is this is much more like the Mark Twain, you know, of screenwriters with this episodic plot. Also, a little listener warning, um, we are very clean on this show, but we're going to use some some rated R language because it's impossible to talk about this movie without quoting it because the profanity is so important to it. It's it's vital. Uh, there's nothing you, you can't just say I am the Shore Patrol. There's no way else to say it besides I am the motherfucking Shore Patrol motherfucker. And also it reminds me of, you said before it was delightful. I think it's fascinating that the studio had no idea how to market this. If you look at the original posters, one of the slogans is, what's the last detail? 200 beers and a lot of laughs. Well, the first thing that struck me is it's very uh, anarchic comedy. I think the, the, the thing it has the closest relation to in comedy would be a Marx Brothers film. And I don't think it's an accident that Jack Nicholson is walking around with the mustache and smoking a cigar or the way that they run through Grand Central Station after, after they, they beat, beat up, up the Marines, Marines yeah. yep. is, is very much like a like a, an unfunny gag from the Marx Brothers. Yeah. So I think, and it's funny, underneath all that, and we could talk, let's talk about Jack Nicholson. I mean, this movie has so many great touches. Like I love when they go see the MAA, the Master at Arms. And he's telling Randy Quaid, um, these two are mean bastards. They, the two guys just look at each other for a second. And like, you're kind of in on the joke with them. Uh, there's so many great things in it. But but here's my overall take on it. Here's the one thing I wanted to talk about in the show is that, you know, the first line in the movie is the, the messenger comes in and tells Jack Nicholson, who's sleeping with his cigar in his hand, who rinses with the beer. He says, the MMA wants to see you. And he and Budusky, Jack Nicholson says, bullshit. And he, and he says, no, come on. He says, tell the MMA to go fuck himself. He says, it's your ass bullshit. So right, you, you get the sense of anger, right? And it reminded me watching it again was, I want to ask you if you remember this. Do you remember the last lines of Full Metal Jacket? 
by any chance? No. If you don't, it's fine. It's no. it, it's it's Matthew Modine Joker quotes an earlier part in the film where when Private Pyle has the gun and he's about to kill the drill sergeant, he says, "You better put that down, Larry. You're gonna be you're gonna be in a world of shit." And he says, "I am in a world of shit." And Joker says that again at the end of the film. He says, "I'm in a world of shit, but at least I'm alive." And that just that illuminated for me so much of what the last detail is about. This is a movie about three guys in a world of shit, right? The base in Norfolk is called Shit City. That's what they call it. Um, they're on what Mule calls this quote, you know, this motherfucking chicken shit detail. Um, the kid didn't rob shit. And and all that does is make them angrier and angrier. And and all the attempts to make themselves feel better don't work. Remember when they go to the, the chanting? They go to see the chanters. And uh, Meadow says, oh, it's supposed to make you happier. And Budusky says, uh, why does it make me feel so fucking bad? And I think the reason that makes him feel bad is because he knows that's all bullshit too. You know, Gilda Radner, who's so funny in this, out there chanting and and pointing to the posters, it's all so pointless. Because if you think about it, um, why did Randy Quaid get sent to jail? Why is he going to jail? For stealing 40 bucks. Well, not even. He didn't even get the 40 bucks, remember? Because when the MMA tells them what happened, they go, who'd he kill? Eight years and a DD, eight years and a dishonorable discharge. Who'd he kill? And like, he took the old man's polio polio fund. And the reason that they were upset, if you remember why, was because it's the old man's wife's little pet project. And every year she gets a plaque for it. So this, this quote unquote piece of Christian charity, it's like Miss Jellybee in Bleak House or something. This piece of Christian charity, the great Christian who collects money for polio victims, is going to send this guy to, to, to the slammer for eight years, right? Where he's going to get his life destroyed for that. So there's no, there's that's another world of shit, right? There's no mercy. You know, a Badaski's supposed to be a badass. And what does it mean? What, what would you say? What does it mean to be a badass in this world of shit? It means to make people excited for two seconds and run outside and crack up with your friends about how upset they were. Yeah, that's the most you can get. Like that's, that's the most you're able to do. And it reminded me also, the beginning reminded me of the end when they get the hot dogs and he says, where's the rolls? He's like, I forgot the rolls. And it, like everything is messed up. Like everything in the movie is fucked up. So they have to make the best of it by sticking the roll. I mean, sticking the hot dog in the mustard jar, right? Everything in the movie is about the same idea. It's almost like waiting for Godot. Budusky says at one point, um, that kid don't stand a chance in Portsmouth for eight years. And, and Mule says, uh, I don't want to hear about it. So like, what's the answer? Like, what is Budusky supposed to do? He could try to F, F the system for a little bit. But I think the great thing is that they're taking him into a jail, but they're also in a bigger one. Yeah, I, I think I was picking up exactly the same things that you're, as you're putting down right now and the movie is putting down. Uh, but what, what struck me the first thing, this is not my moment, but it's a moment indicative of what you're talking about is when they get drunk in the alley. They, uh, he says, I am the motherfucking short patrol motherfucker. And then they go, they get drunk because they can't buy beer because Randy Quaid's too young. And um, Jack Nicholson, the way you get introduced to that scene is Jack Nicholson raises a toast to Batman, <laughs> Superman, and the human, and the human torch, torch. Which, you know, if, if he, even if he had to choose heroes to mock in whatever strange universe he's living in, it's Batman, Superman, and the human torch. It's like a little minimal uh, comic book character heroes with and and that's that's even like a world of fantasy to which he can allude so even his, his imagination is small limited drawn in and that's that's i think part of the prison that you're talking about yeah and when they walk out after the scene with the bartender they're so excited as if they are drunk they're acting like they've already had a dozen beers apiece he's like did you see that did you see that so they got to have the one upper hand on this jerk bartender and they celebrate they're like he's did you see that asshole and then they celebrate with the cans of beers but that's like the most he they have these little moments where they can assert themselves and maybe we'll talk about those in part two Okay, welcome back to part two where we like to talk about our favorite moments or moments we think represent the film as a whole mike what's yours 
Okay, so mine is actually after they run out of the bar, uh, after they've they've just done the um, excited the guy, the the redneck who you know either has a gun or a bat, you know, right. and and Jack Nicholson pulls the pulls the pistol on him, and when they're running excited and Jack Nicholson is laughing and they all kind of link arms or they're all dancing together on the sidewalk. It reminded me of a musical. What musical did it remind me of? I have it written down right here. It reminded you of On the Town. It's On the Town with no music. It's that's On what the this... Town in Hell. Exactly what I wrote down right here. I'm holding okay, this up on that's Zoom. It's 100... right there. It's all right. I swear to we God, did we not do talk these about, live. We did not talk about this. We do these live. It, it's it's on the town, but instead of bursting into song or singing how mu- about how much they love each other, it's a silent musical. <laughs> I'm not editing out that pause. That's great. It's the first musical with no music and no lyrics. Because if you if you if you did, the audience would all kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great great moment yeah it's not you do and we'll talk at the end of how they play anchors away which is a great touch too but certainly i thought it's on the town in hell absolutely it's, it, that's a hundred percent and they're leaning on you know uh how much star power did jack nicholson have at the time not much I mean, yeah i i but the kid the kid was explosive oh, i mean he right i mean he's unbelievable he's that, unbelievable so that's just one of i mean that moment on the sidewalk when he gets all excited and he gets them jazzed uh, I mean, Randy Quaid is actually not a bad actor. He's terrific beside, in this. But beside Jack Nicholson, he just looks cowed. I mean, one one of the great things about him being six four is that Jack Nicholson is not himself a large man. But right. it's it's there's a there's a total difference of emotion and power dynamic. Yeah, Otis Young is great too as Mule as Molehill. I mean, yeah. I, I, so my moment was, you know, we can we can go any, we can talk about this and lead to any other moment was. Um, I love it when they're the whole scene when they're in the hotel, like Act Two, when they're in the hotel and they're trying to watch the movie at the beer cans everywhere, and they're trying to figure out what like where who's going to sleep where and the beds don't work right. And and um, Mule says, "I can't take this shit indefinitely, man." And Budusky says, "What shit?" And they're talking about the bed, but they're really talking about their lives as well. Like I, this I can't take it ism manifests itself in all that anger of, of like the, those musicals, this musical without music, right? And all you get are those, I mean, the famous thing is I am the Shore Patrol, but certainly that's all they can do. They're constantly up against small-minded people who are trying to one-up them. And the most you can do is give them back the finger. Like when the Marine at the end tries to give them a hard time and he says, we want to see the XO. And then finally, um, Jack Nicholson says, you're supposed to pull a few copies. Like in like I know the way to do this, and that—that's—that's that's what light—that's what the world is like. And waiting for Godot, the two tramps are just searching for some kind of meaning. And I think here they're searching for some kind of dignity in this prison they're in. And you have all these small-minded people, like the bartender, who you know he says the law says I have to serve him, but uh, I don't have to serve him. They're just constantly trying to assert themselves. And I th- all you can do is th- Jack Nicholson's going, "Don't you ever want to smash someone? Don't you want to?" S-? So when Randy Quaid's telling the story about that, that Marine thought he was Jesus Christ. And do you remember what Jack Nicholson starts asking him? He's like, did did you cold cock him? Did you cold cock him? And he's like, no, but I bet you he's going to have a hard time. And he's like, oh, don't you? And he smacks the lamp. Like, he's like, come on. Like, don't you ever want to lash out at the world? But even when they do lash out, the most you get are, are cans of Schlitz in the alley. Okay, welcome back to part three, where we always talk about the ending or the title. So, Mike, what's your take on either of those? Yeah, I, the thing that I like so much about the ending is, again, I, w- I think I was picking up exactly what the movie is laying down. I think we're we're very much in sync with what we think about this film. I think a lesser director or lesser screenwriter would have had the marine life implied uh, in in what Jack Nicholson and and his the other two sailors are are acting out against. 
But I think it's so beautiful that they get into the fight with the Marine in the jail when they go to drop him off and they they've not signed their papers and everything is incorrect. And so they're lashing out the whole movie, but you find out exactly how minuscule and how petty, right? What are Naval officers? They're called petty officers, which that, you know, which, which could almost be the title for this film or this, the hidden secret title for this film. Th- that's what they are. The, the, the whole world is made out of petty officers. And I think having that moment, where the worlds actually collide, where they try to fulfill their duty. And it turns out that they didn't even fulfill, they could have let the kid go, right? But they, right. Jack Nicholson beats him up and drags him to jail anyway, so that his ass isn't on the line. Right. And then even then, even then it's not done correctly. And that's what they've been acting out against the, the, the whole movie. You have to imply 10, 20 years of that on top of it between the two of them. Yeah, because a lesser screenwriter and a lesser director would have had something where where Jack Nicholson somehow finagles letting Randy Quaid escape. So when he does the semaphore in the park and then just runs off, he's like, oh, I lost my fucking shoe. And he just starts beating him up in the ravine because, right, that it's his ass if he doesn't take him over there. So they're all in this prison. Like, they're all trapped in this prison. of You have to do what someone tells you to do. And even if you don't like it, the most you can do is get angry about it. But but that's it. And so a lesser screenwriter would have engineered, you know, if, if it were Tom Hanks playing Borusky, he would have figured out a way to let let Matt Damon, you know, as Meadows escape. Or freedom would have been beautiful in some way, right? Like the, the thing about the Shawshank Redemption is there's like beautiful freedom on the outside and there's this life on the inside. But you you're in a box within a box within another box. You can't yeah. you know, you can't escape. Maybe maybe you weren't court martialed and you're not in jail, but they still own you even when you're walking around by yourself and somebody else is in handcuffs. Right. It's very poignant that the other two sailors are are dancing on either side of Randy Quaid and he's sometimes got the the his uh, wrist cuff together. Yeah, I mean it's so good and and let's pause before before I do my thing on the ending about how good Randy Quaid is in this movie. Like the perfect baby face and you know the movie I guess you could say that the one way that that Mule and Badowski get back at the system, so to speak, is they kind of, you know, they're kind of teaching him how to be a man. Like, here's how you get, you know, send it back if the cheese isn't melted the way you want. He says, see, I'm learning. But at the same time, at one point, um, Jack Nicholson says, let's give him a good time. And then Mule says, you're going to make it worse when he goes in there. It's it's perfect casting. Yeah, so you uh, don't Randy, know. Randy, Randy Quaid is like Tex Avery drew a real person. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that. I'm like, I'm like, that's where I graduated high school. I wonder if Miss Morbido is still there. She, she, you know, um, she made me want to be a veterinarian. Uh, you know, but that's all. That all back to the world of shit. How about when they go into his mother's house, and then and then and then Jack Nicholson is so embarrassed he just shuts the door at what he sees. So his family's a world of shit. I mean, they're, they're trying to get some kind of meaning out of it. Well, the beautiful thing to your point is that Randy Quaid has already had the rules beaten into him uh, because before they even get to the bar, here's the one who says, I ain't old enough. And Jack Nicholson says, everyone's old enough to have a goddamn beer. So he already knows. Yeah. He already knows. And it's great. The one that's going to jail is the most nervous. He's the one, the most like Ned Flanders about breaking all the rules. Right. Because of course he can't help, but they're like, when he steals the carrots, they're like, he needs a shrink. He doesn't he need thinks to, the, he thinks the whore liked him. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Can I just look at you? Right. Carol Kane. Um, so I think at the end, it's kind of funny when, after they leave, um, you know, uh, he says, uh, I'll see you in Norfolk. And then that's what Mule says. And Jack Nicholson says, yeah, maybe our fucking orders have come through, you know, but maybe they, maybe they haven't. So they leave. They're all pissed off. Um, they haven't done anything for him. Randy Quaid's going to get eaten alive in that jail. He's going to do it years. You don't know if he's going to get six, two years off for good behavior. They're just saying stuff to him. And, and so like, what did they accomplish? Like that's a, like, what did they accomplish? Nothing 
but I, but I will say there, there is something now that I kind of juxtapose it between the way that Randy Quaid already knows the rules and is crushed by the rules and Jack Nicholson's at least attempt to say, why don't you give this kid a beer and, and at least to finagle just a little something yeah. out of life. And that that's absolutely the most you can do as pitiful as it is. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation on the last detail on this upbeat movie, a family favorite. We hope you'll keep listening. We hope you'll follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You can email us at 15MinuteFilm, spelled out at gmail.com. Let us know what you want us to watch. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. 